Dear Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts this morning be pleasing in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. We ask you to bless us through our sermon time, through our our dive into your word this morning. Um, Strengthen us and equip us to share your love, to share the news of our redemption uh, with more and more people. Bless our meditation on your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we started a new sermon series which is called Joining Jesus on His Mission. And the main point of the series is kind of included right there in the title. Is It's not that Jesus is like sending you off to go do a mission for Him and hopefully you don't mess it up and there's a lot of pressure on you. Jesus is not sending you off to do a mission for Him, but Jesus is inviting you to participate in a mission that He has already got going on. Uh, We talked about that idea of Jesus is already working in our world and Jesus is already working in the hearts and lives of people around us, in our neighborhoods, in our social circles, and Jesus wants to include us in that mission and have us get to experience being a part of it. And we use about five different soccer-related metaphors, uh, but the one that came at the end was the idea of an adult playing soccer with a bunch of kids. And the adult could score any time they want, but they're not because they're passing to the kids and working to have the kids experience the joy of getting to score a goal. This is kind of what Jesus is doing as he invites us onto his mission. He is spreading the gospel to all nations. He is making disciples of all kinds of people, and he's going to make disciples of people in your life, but he wants you to experience the joy of getting to be a part of that process. So, let's do it. Let's go join Jesus on his mission. Um, But Preparation is good, and thinking things through before you do them is good. And so today the theme is, all right, we're going to go join Jesus on his mission um, in the world. So what exact kind of a world are we going into? And we heard Paul and we heard Peter thinking deeply and understanding the kind of world that they were going into with the gospel. And so today we want to put a little bit of thought into the part of the world that we are going into. Think of it like this. If you're packing a suitcase for a vacation, it makes sense to think at least about what the weather is going to be like before you pack. If you're going on a vacation to Antarctica, like maybe shorts and a tank top is not going to be what you want to pack, right? If you're going on a vacation to Hawaii, you might want to not wear a big heavy parka. Thinking about where you're going is going to guide what you prepare and, and what you bring. So what is the environment spiritually that we are going into? as we're saying, we're going to go join Jesus on his mission. Um, What is the climate spiritually that we are entering into in our life? Well, in short, it's a different climate than it was even one generation ago. Uh, It's a very different climate. The climate of America and the climate of Atlanta, too, has changed a ton over, like, the course of my lifespan. Um, So recently there were a bunch of the major research groups Uh, All these groups are like Barna and Pew, and all of those groups work together. And they did this really amazing study and put together a graphic that puts into perspective what is the spiritual climate of America right now. So what they did is they came up with six main attitudes of unchurched people in North America, we would say. So these are like the six mindsets that people who don't go to church, this is the six things that they tend to say. Uh, The first person, I'll go through them one at a time, is the church shopper. And this is somebody who is looking to find a church. 
The next type of person would be the disengaged. So they're not really looking for a church. It's just not as much of a priority. The third one would be the turned off. So they're not shopping for a church. They're not kind of in between, but they are not looking for a church. And that's usually because of some negative things that have happened at churches that they've gone to. The fourth kind of unchurched person would be, they're calling it the happy humanist. And this would be a person who says, I don't have God in my worldview. I don't need God in my worldview. I'm doing fine with just a human-based worldview. The fifth would be the assailant. So this is someone who say, not only says, I don't want to go to church, but they not only say, I don't want to be a part of Christianity, but they're saying Christianity is bad. Christianity is morally bad for our world. I don't like it. That's the assailant. And then you've got the unexposed. And the unexposed legitimately just doesn't have exposure to Christianity. Uh, so they don't fall into any of the other groups. So these are the six main attitudes of non-church people. And this is not stereotyping people. This is what people say who don't go to Christian churches, is these are kind of their different viewpoints. Now, what has this looked like over the course of the last few decades? In 1980, I don't know how well you can see this in the back, but, uh, well, should have sat closer to the front. <laughs> That's all I'll say. In 1980, you can see the numbers at the top. This is percentages. So out of people that don't go to church, 33% uh, of them are still looking for a church. 38% of them are disengaged, but not totally disengaged. And it's kind of a slim group that are against religion or against Christianity or totally turned off to it. By 2000, you start to see less church shoppers and more disengaged people. By 2020, you have minimal church shoppers. You have lots of disengaged people. And so the way to kind of sum this up in big chunks is between 1980 and 2020, which is basically my lifespan, in about 40 years, the two most like positive, interested in church people, that, those groups dropped from 71% of the non-churchgoers to only 18%. So there's just way fewer people who are looking for churches and interesting in churches even though they don't go. And then the more negative groups that are really not interested at all in Christianity have risen from 28% to 64%. So you see this significant shift in American culture that has occurred in about one generation. You also notice that the totally unexposed was only 1% of non-church people. Like, everybody knew what Christianity was in the 80s, apparently. And today, one in five people would say, I honestly just don't really have any exposure to Christianity at all. So this is the reality of the spiritual climate that you're going into. The majority of people are no longer looking for a church as though there's a hole in their life without one. And yet, people are looking for God, whether they know it or not, because there is a hole in their life without him. So one of my favorite passages from the book of Ecclesiastes, it says this about God. It says, God, you have set eternity into the hearts of man. God has set eternity into the hearts of man. So now I want to ask you this question. Have you ever played with one of those plastic toys where you try to fit the right shapes into the right holes? I think this is called a shape sorter. That's, a, that's an easy name to say. So the shape sorter toy. 
And little kids are learning their shapes. They're trying to get the triangle into the triangle hole, the star into the star hole. Okay, if this shape sorter is your heart, if this is your heart, let me ask you this question. What would fit into an eternity-shaped hole? Because God has set eternity into the hearts of men. God has put in every single person the desire for something meaningful and significant beyond this life, something transcendent that is far bigger than just you or me, something that lasts, something more. God has built that desire into the heart of every human being. It's an eternity-shaped hole. And if we're not filling it with God, what things might we try to fill it with? Well, you can take that eternity-shaped hole and you can cram it full of money. You can shove as much money in there as possible, but it never fits, it never fills, because money doesn't last forever. You can accumulate all the money in the entire world and it's not going to follow you into eternity. Or we might try to take accomplishments and take our accomplishments and achievements and fit those into the eternity-shaped hole in our hearts, thinking that our accomplishments are going to live on after us. But we know, if we're being honest, I mean, a couple of decades, nobody's going to remember anything that we did. Look at your history books. How many people's names do you really actually know and remember? Do you know the name of your great-grandparents? Do you know anything they did? So the sands of time are going to wash away our accomplishments. It doesn't fit into the eternity-shaped hole that is in the human heart. So we try to fill that hole with friendships and with people. Maybe that'll work. But friendships and people are just as temporary as we are. We can try to fill that hole maybe with uh, social change. And this is something that I see a lot of today, that we're thinking maybe the way I can find eternal meaning is that I'm going to change the world in a way that it's going to be better forever. But again, if we're being honest, and we look at generations of the past, and our own generation, and the next generation, it's all the same problems, it's all the same flaws, it's all the same sins and struggles. Um, as Ecclesiastes says in a different spot, there's nothing new under the sun. Every generation is broken by sin. So we cannot find a satisfying thing to fill that eternity-shaped hole in our heart. And that's why people in our culture are just clearly not interested in increasing numbers, not interested in looking for a church. But they still have a very specific unresolved problem. God has placed eternity in their hearts, and without God, there is nothing that can fill that void. So this is where our culture is at, and so now we begin to ponder the question, what does it look like to bring the gospel of Jesus to a culture like the one that we're in? Well, let's step away for a minute. We'll come back to that question, but now let's look at our reading and ask, how did the Apostle Paul seek to bring the gospel to the particular culture that he was in? Uh, Paul's culture was way different than ours. First of all, it was very religious. But secondly, it was a very like ethnically and socially divided culture between two main groups. The groups were the Jews and the Gentiles. Right? Both of those groups had their own customs and preferences and traditions. Both of those groups were desperately in need of the gospel of Christ. So what did Paul do? He said, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those not having the law, to the Gentiles, I become like a Gentile to win the Gentiles. 
to the weak I become weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And Paul said, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. What is Paul saying? He's not saying that he had no rights and he had no opinions and he was just going to let people walk all over him. But what Paul is saying is that ever since he became a Christian, he made it his business to do two things. Understand where people were coming from and meet people where they're at. Understand where people are coming from and then meet people where they're at. So if Paul went into a primarily Jewish territory, you would see him eating kosher foods and resting on the Sabbath day and doing the things that were culturally appropriate in order to connect with the Jewish people who lived in that area. If you saw Paul going to a Gentile territory, he might be eating um, a non-kosher food, such as a bacon cheeseburger, which didn't exist in his time, but mixing foods that you weren't supposed to mix and maybe working on a day where the Jews would have rested uh, because that was the cultural norm there and he wanted to connect with the people there. And it's not like Paul was trying to be deceptive and, and trick people. Um, it's because he wanted to understand where they were coming from and he wanted to meet them where they were and he didn't want the cultural stuff to get in the way. He wanted to build bridges and have good, friendly relationships with everybody so that eventually he could share with everybody the good news about Jesus. So the phrase that you'll sometimes hear for this particular text is that Paul was willing to be appropriately flexible for the sake of sharing the gospel. Appropriately flexible. So now... Let's flip it back to our setting. Today, we, it's not the Jews versus the Gentiles, but we've talked about our culture. We're now at this time in history where people don't feel a need for church, but they do have a need for God because we all do. But people are spiritual, but not religious. Kind of floating still with unanswered spiritual questions, untended spiritual baggage. What are we supposed to do about it? How can you, how can we be appropriately flexible for the sake of sharing the gospel? Well, it can be a challenge. And there's a challenge to get pulled into one of two extremes. The first extreme would be to be entirely inflexible. We say, I'm only going to do the types of things that I am comfortable with. I'm only going to do them in the way that I want to do them. And then I'm going to look at the world out there with frustration and fear and anger, and defeatism, and say, no one wants to come to church anymore. What is even the point of inviting people? That's an extreme. The other extreme is to be too flexible, where we say, we want people to come to our church, so we will do whatever people want so that they will come to our church. If people don't want to read the Bible anymore, let's just not read the Bible at church. If people don't want to have an objective source of truth anymore, then let's just not have an objective source of truth at church. If people just want to have a social club and do whatever their social causes are, let's just do that at church. So flexible that we're no longer connecting people to the eternal gospel of Jesus at all. all right, so it can be tough to find this balance between that kind of self-focused inflexibility and then that obsessive ultra-flexibility. How do you find the balance of meeting people where they are bringing them the pure gospel of Jesus while remaining appropriately flexible. Well, the balance is found when we look to the same place that Paul found it, and that is Christ and his love 
for us. Because you just think for a minute about what Christ did for us. Here you have God looking down to a world of mortal people. That's quite the cultural gap. And here we have a perfect God looking down at a world full of sinful, rebellious people. That is a significant cultural gap. But God was not afraid to close the gap. To understand what it's like down here, to understand what we are like down here, and in fact, to become one of us down here. Because in Jesus, God took on human flesh, and he entered our world with all of its brokenness, and its suffering, and its sin, and its pain. And he didn't just enter, those, enter the world and live a human life. He then went to the cross for us. And he took our specific brokenness and our specific sins that we contribute and the many things that we're ashamed of that maybe nobody else knows, and Jesus was not ashamed to take all of it and put it upon himself and die for us on the cross. So he came all the way down to make that connection. He built a bridge to the world, and then he crossed the bridge and entered the world. And yet, the ultimate goal of what Jesus did was not to just come enter our world and be with us here on earth. The ultimate goal was to bring us back across the bridge to be with him in heaven one day. And Jesus did that when he rose from the dead on Easter. Because his Easter resurrection guarantees many, many resurrections to come. Through faith in a resurrected Savior, you are eternal people. You are God's children, not just now through baptism as he adopts you, but eternally, as he welcomes you to his heavenly inheritance one day, and as he raises you from the dead in your own resurrection one day. So you just think about what Jesus did. He came all the way down. He built this bridge. He met us where we were in the muck and the brokenness and the sin and the shame, and he grabbed hold of us. But then he didn't just stay here. He's lifting us and bringing us to something better, to some place eternal, where that eternal need that is built into our heart will finally be answered and satisfied. Jesus came all the way across the bridge to us, and he's bringing us all the way to heaven with him. Which brings us to New Member Sunday. Today is New Member Sunday. We've had some new members join. We're going to have a couple more new members join shortly after the sermon. But every New Member Sunday, we review and we remember what are we doing? What are we accomplishing as God's church, as part of God's mission? And it's summed up in our three-part mission statement. First of all, we know the culture that we're in. We know that people are not necessarily looking for a church culturally anymore. But everyone has deep spiritual needs, an eternity-shaped hole in their heart that can only be filled with the gospel of Christ. And so first, we know that the God of the Bible is a God worth knowing. He's the God who has come to us. He's the God who has forgiven us. He's the God who provides for us a path to heaven that is free. We want to share with the people of our world a thing that they don't know, that the God of the Bible is a God worth knowing. Secondly, we know that our world is very selfish, and we're selfish because we're broken, sinful people. The way that this world works is it operates on selfishness. It's a world where people use each other for their own advantage. And in a world like this, we want our neighbors and our friends to experience a love that comes with no strings attached, a love that comes simply from the heart, a selfless love like Jesus, 
demonstrating that from God's perspective, our city is a city worth loving. Not with an agenda, not with strings attached, but because Jesus purely loved us and we want to pass that love on to others. Finally, we know that many people in our culture, and specifically in our city, are lonely. Rich in digital relationships, but lacking in face-to-face relationships. New to the city, maybe without many close friends. Desiring connection. And so we want to share the good news of a life worth living. A life lived not with temporary people that you're eventually going to have to say goodbye to, but a life lived with eternal people who are part of God's eternal family, won by the blood of Jesus, redeemed by his love, and destined for heaven one day. We want to understand where people are are coming from. We want to meet them where they are, and we want to love them enough to introduce them to something that lasts forever. The good news of Jesus' forgiving love. So it's 2023, and we live in America. In 2023 in America, I think it's fair to say people are not building a lot of bridges. No matter what the topic, no matter what the segment of society, we've seen this for years and years and years, you are encouraged to pick a side of whatever it is and circle up the wagons and then circle up with the sane people over on this side while you lob insults at the crazies over on the other side. This applies to every part of society. We're very divided. In America, in 2023, people are building walls, not bridges. But Christ's countercultural love for us fills us with countercultural love for others. And we start to ask, how can I make connections? How can I understand where anyone is coming from? And how can I meet people where they are? And once I do, how can I show authentic, genuine love to them? And once I do, how can I introduce them to something that lasts forever? The only thing that fills the eternity-shaped hole in the human heart. How can I introduce them to Jesus' love and forgiveness and his resurrection and his promise of our eternal life one day? So we're going to go with Jesus, and we're going to be part of his mission, but may God bless us as we carefully, lovingly, thoughtfully prepare to bring to the people in our life that we love the thing that they need the very most. God bless us as we continue to do that. For Jesus' sake, amen.